We're in this series that we, uh, series that we titled CSI, Connect, Serve, and Inspire. Right, three people remember, good. So every morning when we get up, every morning when we get up, we decide to do something very, very important. And that is to have breakfast. And I'm telling you that it's important because, see, every time my kids, uh, when they were uh, in the school, and, and uh, when they were little, since they were little, and they were going to have this week-long testing thing, they would get, the school would send a letter to our house saying that during this week, the kids will be testing every day. So to make sure that they were fed a good, healthy, balanced breakfast. And you've heard before that breakfast is the most important meal of the day, right? So breakfast gives us the energy for the, for the mind and for the body to endure whatever will come through the day. I think that breakfast is a good example of our faith. Because whatever is going to help us through the challenges that we face in life is whatever we had in the morning. Whatever is our meal in the morning. You see, a lot of people, their faith is like sugar cereal. You like cereal? Yeah? See, my kids loved cereal, and, you know, it, it, and we tried to get them off sugar cereal when they were little, so we got them into Pop-Tarts. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. No, we, we don't do that. We don't do, we don't do uh, that kind of cereal. But uh, um, in fact, we get this cereal that my wife gets from these health stores that oftentimes we never get it again because it's just not. But it's good. Um, so some people's faith, some people's faith is like Lucky Charms. See, this is the kind of people that said, well, you know, uh, I'm going to leave everything to chance. Or, or they say, you know, I'm just going to, uh, to trust in the horoscope. Or, or I'm going to watch whatever the, the talk show says. And I'm going to go by that. But see, what happens with that is that a long time ago, I read about a psychic who went out of business because of some unforeseen financial problems. Um, when we leave, you guys, are, you guys didn't have breakfast today, huh? So see, what happens is that when we leave our life to chance, we're not going to end up well. We need to have a strong foundation. Now, other people, their faith is like Wheaties. You know, the breakfast of champions. And, and, and these are the kind of people that say, well, I, I don't need faith. I, I don't need help. I can do it on my own. You know, I'm strong enough. I, I, don't, need, I don't need to trust. And in fact, th this is the kind of people who say that people who have faith, is, they use it as a crutch because they're not strong enough to live life on their own. The problem with people like this is that they're okay until the first problem attacks their lives. Because that's when they find themselves alone and they realize that they need help stronger than they are. The other type of faith that people have is like Cheerios. This, this, this Cheerios faith are the ones with a positive 
positive attitude, right? And they're always, no, no, you know, you have to see the positive thing about it. And let me tell you, I have nothing against being positive. I mean, a positive, positive, positive attitude is way better than a negative attitude. But see, a positive, positive attitude, I can't. good teacher, I'm not teaching math. Um, positive attitude is never going to be enough. You realize that you will always need something more. Because what we need is not just to have a good attitude, but is to have God on our side. So let's find out what is the kind of faith that God wants us to have. And for that, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles or get, go to your notes that you receive in the bulletin. And let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13. In fact, last week, we visited one of those uh, three things that are mentioned there. And uh, we continue on this series with the English Standard Version. So it says, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Last week, we talked about love. Today, we'll talk about faith. So today, we'll endeavor in the task of investigating what is the faith that God wants us to have? And for that, there are three questions, three questions that we need to ask about our faith. The first question that we need to ask is, what is the core of my faith? What is the core of my faith? Regardless of what kind of faith you think you, think you have, you need to ask this question to find out if your faith is the faith that endures. So the question is, what is the core of my faith? See, everyone centers their life around something. Everyone centers their life around someone. And what happens is that when difficulties hit, it's when the core of our faith, when the core of our life is shown. Either as a failure, because we center our life on the wrong things or on the wrong people, or as a success, because of our, our core was strong and the center of our faith was the right thing. See, we have options for, to center our life around. Oftentimes, we center our life about our family, around our family, relationships, our spouse. And everything goes well. Until somebody does something wrong. Oftentimes we center our life around our career. And everything goes well until they let us down in our job, right? So what is the thing that we need to center our life around? Because see, the problem with centering our life around something is that if we center our life around something that is temporal that can change, eventually will let us down. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, the Apostle Paul writes these words, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him 
who for their sake died as was and was raised. So Paul is saying in this amount of words that because Jesus had the ability to die and resurrect, that we cannot go wrong if we center our life around him. Now, you like pie? Okay, some of you do. You like cake? Okay, I guess. Think about this as a cake. Our life, it's a cake. And our cake is divided in slices. One of those slices could be our career. And in fact, we spend a lot of time, most of our time, in our job. Another slice could be our hobbies. Things we like to do, things that, that brings, brings us happiness and entertainment. And also our life could be our spouse, our relationships. Another slice could be friends, neighbors, relationships outside our family. Another one could be fun. And then another one is God. And that looks pretty normal, right? Except it's wrong. Because when God is only a part of my life, that means that he is not in all the other areas of my life. And that's when I fall into trouble. Because my life is not centered. Jesus is not the core of my life. All the other areas where he is not will suffer. So what strong faith derives from is when God is at the center of all the other areas of my life. Because when God is at the center, every part of my life, my family, my friendships, my relationships, my, my work, everything will be surrounded or covered by the presence of God. And when that happens, even when troubles arrive, we know that we can trust because God is in control. The problem is that oftentimes we choose to have as the core of our life, as the center of our life, let's say our spouse. The thing is this, that when that happens, there's going to be a moment when we are going to be disappointed. Because in the center of who we are, there is a shape that needs to be filled. And that shape is the shape of God. And he can only fill it. So when we try to find someone else or something else to fill that void, we will always be disappointed because they will always fall short of the expectations. They will never live up to what we need to experience as the core of our life. So that is why it is important that our faith is centered in God. The second question of this investigation about our faith. What was the first question? What is the core of my faith? The second question is, what is the character of my faith? What is the character of my faith? 
The character of everyone, our character is shown not when everything is going well. Not when every, everything is working as planned. Our character is always shown when we're under stress. Our true character will always be demonstrated in reaction to situations that are unfavorable. The same thing happens with our faith. We will not know the character of our faith until our faith is challenged by difficulties. And it's at that moment when the true character of your faith shows up. James 1 verse 2 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now let's stop right there. The truth is that we've understood, better said, misunderstood what Christian life is about. Oftentimes, we accepted Jesus because we have the belief that if I allow Jesus to be part of my life, everything is going to work okay. Because you heard this. Jesus is in control. Jesus will bring your true happiness. Those are not wrong things to say. Those are biblical statements. The thing is that we don't, haven't understood them correctly. Because we think that as long as I believe in Jesus, there are no problems come to come to my life. But all contraire. What happens is that if problems will always come into our lives, even if you don't believe in Jesus or if you believe in Jesus, the fact is that we live in an imperfect world. Do you agree with that? So bad things will happen to all kinds of people. Not just bad people, not just good people. Bad things will happen to all kinds of people. And you can testify about that. Now, the issue here. It's not if bad things will happen. It's what will be my reaction when the first bad thing happens in my life. If I don't have a faith that is centered on Jesus, my first reaction will be, I don't know what to do. I need help. You feel alone. You feel overwhelmed. But if you have Jesus, then you learn to understand one thing. That things happen in your life. Good things and bad things with a purpose. Now the question that you have, I know, is like, how do I know what the purpose is? <laughs> well, the first, the first thing that you need to identify is what kind of difficulty is you're facing? Let me share this with you. Verse 3. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That means that when your faith is centered in Jesus and your faith is challenged because a difficulty that has come, it makes you stronger in that relationship with Jesus. And let the steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So it means that every time you face a challenge and your faith is centered in Jesus, 
and you let him take control of it and you trust that there is a purpose for that challenge, you will get better and better and better in your relationship with him until you accept every obstacle, not as a difficulty, not as a problem, but as a way to get closer to Jesus. Now, these are the things that happen in our lives. The first thing that happens is troubles. Troubles. And troubles, listen well, troubles are things that God allows to happen in your life. What's a trouble? Things that God allows to happen in your life. And the reason why God allows those troubles to come into your life, it's, a, it's so that you can learn to trust. So troubles are things that God allows so that we can learn to trust in Him. The second thing that happens in our life is temptations. Temptations are also allowed by God, but temptations are designed by the devil. And the reason why God allows the devil to tempt you, it's so that you can learn to obey God. Imagine what an instrument that is that God allowed the devil to even tempt Jesus multiple times. And when we think about the three temptations before he started his ministry, those were minuscule compared to the temptation he had in the garden of Gethsemane when he was praying. Because that was the most difficult temptation. But God allows temptation that are designed by the devil to come to us so that we can learn to obey God. And the third kind, and this is the most difficult to understand, these are trespasses. Because see, trespasses are allowed by God, but these are designed by other people. And because these things are designed by other people, especially people who are close to us, God permits those trespasses to occur into our lives so that we can learn to forgive. Because see, in heaven, they're not only going to be forgiving people, they're going to be forgiving people. It's easy to be forgiven. It's very difficult to be forgiving. So God allows troubles, allows temptations, and allows trespasses so that our faith can show its character. And when our faith is centered on Jesus Christ, those things will be instruments that will polish us and strengthen us. Because the character of our faith only shows when difficulties arise. So what's the first question? What's the core of my faith? What's the second question? What is the character of my faith? The third question. What is the contribution of my faith? James chapter 2 verse 15 says, If a brother or sister poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? 
So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. I want to tell you something about faith. I've taken a lot of classes in many colleges. And oftentimes these classes, like when I took a class in Fuller Seminary, some of the students who were taking the class with me were not Adventist. They were from other We don't use the word denomination. We use the word faith. And oftentimes people have asked us, what is your faith? And you say, I'm seven-day Adventist. <laughs> have you ever said that? We misunderstand the meaning of faith. We think that faith is a set of beliefs. But oh no. Faith is not a set of beliefs. Faith is my experience and relationship with Jesus. So what James is saying here, that if you actually have an experience in Jesus, your faith is not going to be only mental and cognitive. It's going to be practical and relational. So in order for our faith to take that dimension of being practical and, that, and, 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 and uh, relational, that means that we need to practice our faith as we relate with other people, especially those who need something. Because it says right there, what good is for you to say, hey, be warm when you need a jacket and uh, you have 10 jackets in your wardrobe and you don't give them one. God is giving us blessings, and the reason why he's giving us blessings is because he wants to, us to use those blessings to bless someone else. Otherwise, there would be no reason for God to give us blessings. God is the greatest steward in the universe. The greatest, well, that's a Bible word. The greatest manager in the universe. And we, the Bible says that we are his managers, his stewards. So that means that everything we have, everything we receive from him is to be managed, to be a blessing for someone else just as he gives us blessings to us. So real faith is not a mental exercise. It's a relational exercise. So the best way to demonstrate my faith It's how I deal with those in need. So now that we've tested, that we've asked the questions about what kind of faith we'd have, it would be irresponsible for me to tell you, okay, go in peace. What we need to do now is, how can my faith be centered in Jesus? The first thing we need to, to do is to confess our sins. Is to confess our sins. And you might probably think, well, I do that on my, on my own. And we're not going to do that here as 
you are not going to confess your sins to anyone. No. But the reality is that there, were, there has been many times that we could have experienced our faith by doing something for someone else and we chose not to. There's been many times that our faith could have been strengthened by a practical experience and we chose not to. However, we still choose to believe that Jesus is the answer. And that is when we have a problem. Because Jesus will never be real in your life until it's not put into practice. So those opportunities that you could have done it and you chose not to, that I could have done and I chose not to, I need to repent from that. First Chronicles 28 says, I'm sorry, First um, John uh, 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So today we have the opportunity to re-strengthen our faith, to bring Jesus as the center of our faith. And the way that we have to start is by saying, Jesus, I messed up. I acknowledged today that I made bad choices. That I had the opportunity to show my experience with you to others and I chose not to. I need to confess on that. So the first step in strengthening our faith is by confessing our sins. The second step is to switch to God's plan. And now you're thinking, okay, so, so what is it? What's the plan? See, David the king, when he was king, he had this plan. He had this goal. And the goal was to build a temple for God. In fact, David... His motive was, was great, was noble, was, was humble. He said, how can I be living in this beautiful house with wood and stone and beautiful things? And God is in this tent. Let me remind you that God never asked to have a temple built for him. Let me remind you that that tent was designed according to God's. Design and measurements. The specs that Moses received from God were for that particular purpose. But David in his heart, he's thinking, I cannot live like this and God be there. Was that a noble thing? Yes. However, when David tells God, God, this is what I want to do. God tells him, David, thanks, but no thanks. Your job has been very messy, very bloody. You've killed way too many people. So please, I like the idea, but give it to your son. He'll build my temple. So in 1 Chronicles, in verse 11 actually, says that David began to share the plan with Solomon. 
And then in verse 12, it says, And the plan and all that he had in mind for the courts of the house of the Lord, all the surrounding chambers, the treasures of the house of God, and the treasuries for dedicated gifts, he gave to Solomon to build. David was not about to die when this happened. He could have said, but God, you know, this is my idea. I came up with this plan. I came up with the measurements. I came up with the design. At least let me do this and then I'll die. But see, David understood something. That even though sometimes our plans are something that would bring us happiness, God's plan are always better. Solomon not only built a temple for God, but he became a place where people came to learn about God from all over the world because they came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and the source of that wisdom. If David had built that temple, it would have become just a building because nobody would have come from all over the world to hear David's wisdom. But by David obeying, obeying God's plan, he passed it on to his son and became an international sensation. Where people came because they heard from mother kings their experience with Solomon and his God. Because God's plans are always better than ours. So when I confess my sins and I switch to God's plan, my faith is strengthened. And finally, we have to invite God to be the center of our life. John the Baptist was a very peculiar man. Not just his responsibility as a prophet of God was peculiar. Not just his message was very peculiar. Attacking the king and attacking the Pharisees, the religious people. The place where he lived was very peculiar. He lived by the river. And even more peculiar was his diet. Grasshoppers and honey. His dress was very peculiar. It was camel wool uh, garments and a leather belt. But John understood one thing. That even though hundreds of people were coming to listen to him and to be baptized by him, there was going to be a moment where he had to understand that all that was not about him. It was about someone else. When Jesus came down from the hill into the Jordan River, John said, this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He identified Jesus as the reason why or his peculiarity was existent. 
Because of Jesus, he was preaching that message. Because of Jesus, he, has living, he was living that life. Because of Jesus, he was baptizing people. Because of Jesus, he said in John 3.30, he must increase and I must decrease. And that is the same experience that all of us need to experience at one point when we want Jesus to be the center of our life. It is time for him to increase and for me to decrease. Because Jesus needs to be the center of my life. But how? Jesus works in us when he becomes the center. or When, he, when we want him to be the center. It's very interesting too. Because see, one of the things that Harry was saying earlier is that the O is for omnipotence. And that means that God can do everything. There is no permit that Jesus needs to do anything except one thing. Jesus will never enter your heart by force. That is the only place that Jesus cannot enter willingly. Jesus needs to be allowed to enter into your heart. Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and what? Opens the door. It, it is interesting how some artists have these, uh, um, painted this picture and they put a Jesus that is knocking at the door and that door has no doorknob on the outside. But see, this door does not belong to any building, to any house or any dwelling. This door belongs to your heart. And the only one that can open that door is you. So when Jesus is invited to be part of, the, of my life, he'll be part of your life. Yes. But that is very different than being the center of your life. And when Jesus becomes the center of your, of your life, it's only because you have allowed him to be that center. Because Jesus will never do it by force. And he says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And when you decide to make Jesus the center of your life, you begin to grow spiritually. And you see, what happens is that the vision for our church is not just that we worship Jesus. It's not just that we build relationships with each other. But it's that every day we grow spiritually. And the only way that we can grow spiritually is when we allow Jesus to be the center of our life. Because when Jesus is only part of our life, you already have decided, I have already decided how much of my life Jesus is going to be part of. And he's already done that. So when I choose to, for God to be only part of my life, we already decided how much of my life he's going to be part of. And I'm not going to grow any more than that. The only way that I can grow spiritually is when I allow Jesus to be the center of my life. And that center will grow and grow and grow until every area of my life is completely covered with my relationship with Jesus. So today our prayer and our song as we close today is that day by day, we allow Jesus to grow more and more into our life.
until one day the only thing that is left in our heart is Jesus. Jesus.